Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Wealth Psychology on Sylvia Global Radio. My name is Emily Bouchard. Uh, we're delighted to be here today. Um, it is absolutely gorgeous here in Northern California. We hope that it's great wherever you are. And our goal today on this, uh, the time that we have on the show is to really expand your um, awareness of your relationship with your money, with your wealth, and anything we can do to support you in truly living a rich life. And uh, we are definitely moving with some uncertainty, and we talked a little bit about that last time on the show in terms of how we move in life when the unexpected happens. And one of the things that's really apparent in the whole field of wealth psychology and what a lot of researchers have written about is that the key to having a rich and successful life is having a, a sense of resilience, having a sense of being able to really meet whatever life throws at you, whether it's expected or unexpected, with a sense of strength, of courage, of feistiness, of uh, feeling robust, uh, feeling um, engaged in what is um, happening in a way where you can be very effective. So analogies that really help with this concept are those of sailing. Uh, when, you know, the wind shifts, you can get angry at the wind, but it's going to keep shifting. Let's get to the other side of the boat and shift the sails and have an exciting adventure. Or um, for some people, we uh, use the analogy of whitewater rafting, where you can get on a raft with a guide and have a great time and uh, have an exciting time with... Um, uh, knowing when the rapids are coming because it's a very predictable river that everybody's been on a hundred times and you feel really good. And even then, you know, because of weather, because of changes in uh, the water patterns, maybe there's some new rapids or they're different than the year before or maybe a tree fell that you're not expecting when you come around a bend. So there may be uh, things in life that we can anticipate, like uh, uh, perhaps a uh, a new baby, we have nine months to predict and get ready for that, or maybe we know that an IPO is happening and we're getting ready for it, but we don't know what the, you know, the end result is going to be until it actually happens. Uh, and in the world that we work in the most is, uh, Wealth Legacy Group, is with people who are dealing with inheritance and with uh, sudden impact of money coming into their lives that they may have had an awareness of but may not, they may have had a sense of how um, much money was coming their way, or maybe they weren't told anything. I mean, we certainly worked with inheritors where they found out that they had a trust fund when they received a letter in the mail while they were away at college telling them that they now had millions in their account. And uh, the shock, the uncertainty, the distress around, wait, who am I now? This isn't my life, and I don't know about this. And having no sense of being prepared, uh, it just makes it hard to, to know how to move with that unexpected, even if it's a real blessing, even if it's something that's really quite remarkable, even if it's something that you really want and are excited about. So what we want to do today is um, 
expand the conversation. And I think we have our special guest host on the uh, show today. Lynette Carroll, are you here with me? I am, and I'm happy, happy to be here. Welcome. I apologize for the technical difficulties at the beginning. We're so delighted to have you. So uh, welcome once again to Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Radio. And my name is Emily Bouchard. I'm the managing partner of Wealth Legacy Group. And we have with us today, as a special guest host, Lynette Carroll. And she authored The Architecture of All Abundance, which is one of my favorite books. She's the founder of the nonprofit Higher Ground for Humanity. And she also helped develop and manage the career of the artist Jewel, who is also um, her daughter. So we're really delighted to have you back. We had such a great conversation on the last show, and you really sparked uh, my interest and the listeners' interest about your walkabout. And so I I invite you back because I would love the chance to really dive into your whole story around that and um, really uh, excited to, to learn more about what was it that had you walk away from money for, it sounds like, three years? Well, I I, be, I began, I set out to do it for two years, I'll have to say, but it was so fascinating what I was learning and really powerful in my life. Just so, like, I was learning what, if only there had been a primer for in, in kindergarten, uh, it was something so vital to being human. So I decided to extend it from two years to three, but it extended itself then to four years, and I'm just ending it now. <laughs> and what uh, started me on that was a, a period of time that uh, we can go into more in the program if you like, but that many people are experiencing with crisis coming from every direction. And I'd had such a wonderful life to then, and did a, a, a book that's really very dear to me, managed and you know developed a, a beautiful career for my daughter and so many other things and had had great wealth and I had reached that point where I was thinking, what would I do next? It was time for me to make a change and right at that time, everything fell apart. Um, my health, uh, you know, starting with my health. And so I then was, um, had suddenly the most expensive things in the world um, in my life, which are mm-hmm. uh, attorneys and doctors and um, all of those things to make, you know, when you have a large complex life and you have to undo it so that everybody can go on as they need to, um, that can be costly. And it was that period of time. And right in that, I, I would say I had a spiritual crisis. And it was the question Oh, of this wow, longing. This is, yeah, this is really, wow, this is so full of what you just said. Um, I want to make sure that we capture what you said about having a large, complex life because I know that it's something that our listeners are very much engaged in, whether they chose to be and created it themselves like you did or whether it's been something they've been born into or something that they suddenly find themselves in because of marriage. And having those large complexities of life and the uh, the added expense that can happen and the cost to oneself in the midst of it is you're speaking both literally financially and also figuratively. And I'm hearing about the cost to your health and um, now your spiritual uh, life. And I'd like to continue on with that thread. I also want to just capture that and say 
we're going to be circling back to that. Please say more about this, what you mean by a spiritual crisis, but that's really significant. Well, I I had done many, you know, as wonderful things as uh, all of our listeners have and, and had that experience of being able to do it in a very successfully successful financial way. But at that point, with the large overhead, uh, my necessity to uh, retire, well, having just retired when the health problems began, um, and I, I began to to really feel deeply the spiritual yearnings that we have. And I had, I had operated in my career in a beautiful and spiritual way. But I reached the point where I, I thought, you know... I've I've operated spiritually in a wonderful way. I it seems I have such a wonderful experience of the the truth of the importance and the usefulness of spirituality in my own life. There are these dearly held beliefs that I have that you might call about enlightenment or about grace. And I began to wonder are those things really possible? And I realized that was the only thing I really wanted to know was are those things possible now? I mean, really? If you're not the Dalai Lama, if you're, you know, just a, a normal, um, basically interesting and creative person in the so world? When when you point to uh, the word enlightenment, is so huge and carries so much for different people. Uh, could you describe? For our listeners, what it is that you mean by that, and what is that would be that would be something that you would want to reach for and strive for you personally? <laughs> That's kind of really the question. Well, it was certainly part of the question is what what is that even? I mean, we think about it, talk about it, or you know, from the Christian sense, um, grace, living in grace. What are we talking about? And the the definition as I moved on my walkabout that came to be the most self-explanatory for me was the uh, phrasing it as self-realization. I came to realize it was more and more that one realized the truth of themselves, of what we really are and what we're really here for. So I wanted to know, well, what does that mean to a life then? What, what would, how would that really work? And if we're like the lilies of the valleys um, and things can really be that effortless, well, how would that really be? And then if it's possible to step into such a, a place of self-realization and grace um, and to really live like the lilies of the valley, what would that mean in a life? Because I don't feel called to be in the cave, and I'm certainly not the Dalai Lama, um, uh, and I'm not going to become a monk. Uh, <laughs> Or those systems that, in the first place, don't let women in to the higher levels. Anyway, um, so that's a whole other conversation. Yep. Yeah. So what does yeah, that mean? Wow. You know, you, I'm sure you feel the longing uh, to know that type of thing and to have perhaps more of that in your life too. And that's where I was. I think what we, I thank you so much for articulating it. And I think that what uh, Jamie and I both strive for in walking our talk and creating. Um, space for our clients and our listeners is this whole idea of living life consciously from a place of uh, what is the true impact that I can make and how is it that I can truly maximize the gifts of what it means to be here. Um, You know, we, in a sense, really do live in paradise and we have a lot 
that keeps us from really acknowledging that, waking up to that, and um, accessing it fully, and then accessing our gifts, our talents, our passions, our abilities to the foremost to then be able to express ourselves and what it is it. When I think of enlightenment, I like the term of the, that light that's within. And what is it that's keeping my internal light from shining as brightly as it possibly can? And how can it um, enliven and enrich and um, brighten the lives of those that I encounter, whether it's in my family, my community, or in the world? And I'd say that would be a driving force in our work. And uh, one of the reasons we're so delighted to be able to engage in these conversations with you is you are somebody who really embodies that walking your talk. And, you know, when I read The Architecture of All Abundance, the, each chapter spoke into how you incorporated this spiritual aspect, this thread of what's really underneath here, what, what is really happening here, and then cultivating that in your life and in the lives of uh, the other the jewels of your employees, uh, the people that you even encountered in the industry that were pretty dark and not necessarily obviously reaching, but they would connect with you heart to heart around that. It was very inspiring. And I'm looking forward now to hearing about what were some of the things that you really discovered when you walked away from all of that and walked into a world where you were not using money at all. That longing that you just expressed so well, Emily, is is what finally pushed forward and demanded to be the only thing for me to give my attention to. And it wasn't that I felt, uh, I, I don't think that having money makes it hard for the camel to get into the kingdom. <laughs> I really don't. It's not uh, money. Uh, but I wanted to disidentify with how I'd done things. Mm-hmm. And it was perhaps, a, I could say, a, you know, almost like a shamanistic act, a great um, plunge. And I'm a person who, who does well to take those kinds of steps and then to under, really look at and, and retro-understand them. So that was what I was longing to do, to, to get out there. Wow. So I, I, kind of, I jumped off the cliff. And I closed my my bank accounts. I got rid of the remaining funds um, because of the stresses financially and not being working, having a large overhead. My fund resources had uh, depleted anyway. Um, So I left behind house and car and credit cards and everything and wanted to feel myself relative to some other point of identification to understand something else about being human and to bring it back into living and leading, you know, a successful life, um, rebuilding my wealth, which I'm I'm very uh, uh, <laughs> excitedly doing. Um, and and that. really it's, it's and live the from both, there. It's the both and, isn't it? It's, uh, yes being able to express our wealth on all those different planes. And that's one of the things that we bring forward on the show is we don't define wealth by money and dollars in the bank account only, but by uh, that, that wealth of the spirit of um, our health being from a place that's very uh, fulfilling and uh, vibrant, uh, all those different aspects of our lives, the, the networks of people that we know, 
all of those things. And so it sounds like you're rebuilding the um, the the financial aspect of wealth as you bring to the world all this other the wealth that's much greater that is intangible that nobody can ever take away from you that what the markets do won't impact. Yes, and for me that part of it is the, is the you know it's the easier part. The other I wanted to give a really concentrated period of understanding. Um, to see if I could not just experience more of that peace or not experience, you know, more occasions of bliss, but to see if I could shift my perspective to actually residing there as, you know, is the the great promise of all of the beautiful spiritual and, you know, religious paths. Mm-hmm. So either we can do it, either it's possible, either it can be lived into a lifetime, or it's all baloney. I set out to see which. And then um, coming back from that, to live in that, and to live that in, to live it into the life that I'm creating now, and to live in that, which creates the life that is now expressing from me. Wow. It was an well, amazing experience. An amazing experience. Sounds like it. Yeah. Would you be um, able to share with us uh, some of uh, maybe a story that really was early on the journey that was uh, pretty um, uh, that, that let you know that wow, I'm going to be okay, or um, that this this decision isn't as scary as I thought, or something that that lit your way a little light along the way. I had created such a wonderful story to tell at that point, you know, a story of success and and of uh, capability and uh, so many things, that I was willing, I, I wanted to see where, well, where that story wasn't completely true. So I began to welcome the fears that I felt, without my story. <laughs> so I, I began to, to welcome seeing how uh, how baffled I was without the usual means of, of creating income. I was so baffled and often terrified about how on earth I would be safe, how would I make my way, and those types of things. So letting that come from a deeper place is something we can... We can understand that, but then, like, if we're really trying to do it, what's the doing of that? So a story to illustrate how it works is I had some plans. It said yes to come and be at a certain place with some people and and to do some music and things. And during, as I was headed there, my mother went into the hospital, and my mother was uh, living in Alaska. So I went up there to be with her. Now, how did you get from point A to point B if you didn't have money? Like, you, you say, oh, I went up to Alaska. I'm thinking airplane ticket, the hotel, <laughs> you know, how did you, how, how did you do it? It's so good for you to ask me these really detailed questions. 
um, so that I can think about that. It is part of what I want to answer. So I received the call that my mother was going into the hospital, and right after that call, a friend rang. Her husband was uh, also in the hospital, and she said, you've got to go, you've got to go right now. I miss that when my mother, and I said, you know, I'll, I have to find a way to do it because I'm doing this thing without finances. And she said, oh, don't even worry about that. You have no idea. I have so much mileage, I can never use it. I'm sending you a mileage ticket. And so oh, before wow. I no, even no, had wait, time to minute. think. Wait, yeah. wait. How did you have a phone for people to call you? Oh, I've always had my cell phone. I so didn't give up my cell phone. Because <laughs> that was the one facet that you kept. And then was it like curious to you how each month you would be able to pay the bill? Yes. Oh, yes. The The $150 came in so many different ways. And in this instance, you know, the the need to be with my mother occurred. I hung up the phone, and this friend rang me, like, you know, a minute later, immediately. So right in this moment of feeling uh, so, you know, concerned for my mother, someone else who had had such an experience and missed it regarding her mother and whose husband was in the hospital happened to ring me and someone who delights in giving away her mileage uh, to, to for things to happen. That's what she does with all of her uh, uh-huh. mileage. And so I didn't have to try to think, now how am I going to, oh, oh, I don't, I can't afford, you know, all of the thoughts right, that would occur. Right, right. You didn't even have a moment to experience that. Yeah, it exactly. happen. And had it, you know, if, there, if she hadn't called immediately, then I would have had those thoughts. And what I would have done was bring myself back into, mm, it's not all of that that, that uh, moving and shaking that gets me places anymore. I would just have come back into that peaceful core of myself. And from there, the things that would take me to Alaska would have occurred. And it could as easily have been someone calling to say, would you please, please, please consult with me on this? I know you're on your walkabout. So I did work when it came to me. Uh-huh. It's not that I never worked. And they, I didn't didn't time, never and they would work. they would give you money for exchange for what you did. Yes. Sometimes it was money. Sometimes it was, you know, things like a ticket. Um, I then uh, said to her, it was so wonderful you gave me that ticket. Um, and I'd like to make an exchange. And we did something really cool. Um, that was very helpful to her, and I made an exchange because I I like to do that as well. I also didn't sit out to live off of everybody else. You know that wouldn't be um, that wouldn't be me uh, unfolding my life from that core quiet place either. And when I went to Alaska, that extended to five months with my mother, and I haven't spent that kind of time with my mother uh, since I was in high school. And there was much healing and, oh, so many dear things happened before she died. And I was really important in her decision to let go as well. And so there was this beautiful thing that occurred and the time with my family, uh, some of my brothers still live up there and my younger son lives in Alaska. So it was a wonderful family time, healing to many family patterns that still live in me. It was an important time. And then my mother died, and I was still there. And I thought, well, now where am I going to go? And I was at my, I happened to be at my brother's in that moment. I took a little sauna wondering that question. 
and the little alarm went off saying it's reached its heat, you know, and I looked up and the the uh, time said 9-11 and I thought, oh, that's funny, it's 9-11. Um, and then when I got out of the sauna, I was doing a little meditation in there and saying to myself, well, all right, then I'm open, I'm ready to be where I next will be. And when I got out of the sauna, I saw on my cell phone that I had a call at 9-11. And I thought, now that's very interesting. Oh, that's very curious. I can't wait to see what that is. And it was a friend ringing, and she said, Lynette, where are you? What are you doing? I haven't talked to you in, gosh, two or three years. And here, you know, I'm on your neighboring island. I don't, where, are you even still in the islands uh, in Washington State where I had lived? Um, She said, I want to talk. Someone told me that you had gone out on a walkabout, and if you're available, I need a house sitter for four months. Oh. This is a person I hadn't talked in in two or three years. Oh, okay. And so so I, that's a, that, I call that a chill yeah. illness. So you say that, yeah. I get chilled up the back of my spine, and anybody who's listening knows exactly what you're talking about. Those yeah. moments in life when you just feel the synchronicity of life, like things fall into place where something happens, you pick up the phone and the person you were thinking of is right there. You know, these wonderful, spectacular moments that are just these little moments in life. And what I'm hearing is you made a decision that started to uh, bring forward that these moments could actually be how life is. And it was a decision to move, to find how to move myself into the quiet core of myself from which all of that comes naturally. Yeah. And then you see it. You you pay attention. And that and you means then breaking things. the pattern. Oh, sorry. We had a little overlap there. No, I just, no, I get, I, I'm getting that when you're in the quiet core of yourself, not only do you allow that to emerge, but you're also aware and awake and alert and noticing something like and that's deeply higher. Peaceful. Yeah. yeah. And then everything becomes part of living there. I'm not sure I'll express this very clearly, but when something goes, let's say, wrong, what we would call Mm -hmm. wrong, um, that also is part of the wonder of living there. And the thing is just, um, you know, when it, it seems that, hmm, I'm thinking too much at once. <laughs> I know it's and hard it to articulate that which comes yes. from a place of being. Like it's, it is. it's a completely different language, and it's something that that's why I said let's slow this down because the, the language of chill is a very important language to listen to. Stop, stopping and slowing down in those moments where it's like you feel what Jamie and I would call a little nudge, you know that. Um, I should pay attention here or something, you know, just bringing my awareness maybe more so to something or, or, you know, when your friend felt a nudge to reach out to you and mm-hmm. she called you, you know, it's like something yeah. nudged her to do that and she did it. That's how I would look at it. And right at that time, it's just so perfect. So, And relative to this, something that prevents not just uh, kind of missing that little nudge, but something that prevents us from more openly walking and living in this thing that we we have a lot of evidence of and really believe in, something that that prevents us from doing that is 
the mind starts up, okay, what am I doing? I should be doing something. Where am I going? I need to know where I'm going. So uh, when my mother died, there was a two-week period of wrapping things up there. And during that whole time, my mind had many questions. And also, people had many questions. Well, how much longer are you going to be here? Where are you going next? What are you doing now? Oh, yeah. And, and they would ask those things constantly. So they were always asking, and my mind felt like, well, we need an answer. And then, you know, they didn't need to ask. My mind already felt like, okay, now, come on, we need an answer to this. Where are we going to be? You can't just like, you know, I mean, it's almost time to, and we're, and we don't even know where we're going to, Okay. So what during those moments, it's not that I shouldn't feel those, it's that I should be aware, deeply aware, when I do, I can embrace that too. Mm-hmm. That can be part of it, me. It, so it, I can that, say, yeah. and I, I would say out loud to myself, hmm, I'm really having a lot of conversation in my head right now. There's a lot of chatter and even some anxiety about this, where am I going to be? I need to know. I need to know. And that need to know is part of, like my credit cards, part of what I'm relinquishing. That need to know. That insistence that I figured out from there, so I quickly have an answer and I can feel easier and I know, that's it, that's what we're doing. So I would just bring myself back to going, I also, I will know, certainly. There are many things I will know. And there are many things I won't know, and both are fine. And then that beautiful spontaneity could happen more because I didn't already have it planned out. Yeah. And then there's that sense of knowing. Did you ever have any spontaneous things happen where you actually had the knowing to say no to an opportunity? Or like where oh, many, have, yeah. I'm curious about that because there's that one that mm-hmm. sense of, well, I need to say yes to whatever comes my way because, you know, how did you... Because it's come my way, yes. Yeah. That's a funny Uh, thing, isn't it, about synchronicity? That's a terrific thing you're pointing at there because we think um, because something showed up apparently magically almost, you know, that therefore that's an indication we should do it. But it's really just our life and response to what we deeply are saying we want. So we'll say, I would like this opportunity. And then, you know, magically, someone will say, give you something that looks like that opportunity. Then we think that must be it. And then we get into it and it goes badly. And we think, you know, why did that go so badly when it seemed like so much the magically right thing to do? But we should look at each thing that comes up and examine, is this really the fit I want for what I have been wanting, for what I've been asking for, for what I've been hoping or praying for, um, for what I've been moving toward, and examine each thing because it's still us creating the synchronicity and us choosing whether that's the perfect match. Yeah, that's so well said, and it really is relevant to our population that we're reaching. People who have access and a tremendous amount of wealth and uh influence, status, however you will call it. People and opportunities come out of the woodwork when they know this. And developing that, what I would call discernment, is essential. Gathering the data, slowing things down, and just because something comes in front of you and somebody says, oh, this is a great idea, or oh, this matches exactly what you care about, doesn't necessarily mean it's the right best place for 
you to put your attention and focus on. There may be other things that actually resonate even more. And developing that capacity to trust one's inner knowing and to slow down and discern and, you know, in the financial world, they would say do your due diligence, which is not the most inviting term, but basically it's about, hey, is this really right for me at this time, given my uh, passions, what really matters to me, what I care about most deeply? And very few people give themselves permission to slow down and to say, um, just because I can do it doesn't mean that I want to or I ought to do it. And I love that you were on the other side of it, walking away from all of the wealth, not knowing when your next dollar was going to come, and still living from that place of, I'm going to take time to discern whether this is really the right thing for me at this moment. That's so important. But too often when something happens synchronicity, we then leave our common sense behind. I know. It's like I love this wedding of the two. I mean, that seems to be what you embody. <laughs> Living from that place of allowing the synchronicities and the spiritual flow of life to just carry so much of your life and to also have practicality, common sense, and be in this world and moving really effectively in it. That's really, I something that in you know in my spiritual path I don't want to become ungrounded. Mm-hmm. Because I love being physical. I love operating in the world. I don't have any sense of wanting to operate beyond that or wanting to, you know, can't wait for heaven. Um, I love being alive. And what I want is for my spiritual path to apply to my life. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because that's how we speak about uh, wealth for people as well, where it's the, your life is what's center stage and forward. And then it's what, what, what is it that you have access to that can support you even more so in living as fully as you can in your life? Yeah. I'm wondering if you would be willing to share with us a little bit about, and um, it's, it's a bit of a challenging question, and it's one that one of the listeners wrote in. They're from New Orleans, and they want to know more about your circumstances that caused you to walk away. Um, and there's this, there's this listening in our culture around, well, wait, did you just, like, lose everything and go into bankruptcy and walk away from it all? Or was it by choice? Did you walk away from responsibilities and obligations? Or, you know, did you tie up those loose ends before you left? Um, was, you know, because I could see some people thinking, well, this is just, the, well, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm just throwing my hands up and I'm walking away. So there's, it's a very interesting thing in our culture to, to look at how we phrase things, how we look at things, and where the line goes. And so I'm aware that some listeners may be uh, thinking this way and one wrote in. So I'm wondering if you might be able to um, elaborate a little bit more on your approach to um, what was happening when you were dealing with your crises and, um, you know, just was it a walk about? Was it a walk away? Was it some of both? Just what's the humanity within it?
oh, this is so interesting. This is how uh, life works. So um, while I was asking this question, the um, line that Lenezra was on was cut off. So that silence you heard was not her deeply thinking, although I'm sure she's looking at how she's going to respond. Um, she actually was cut off. I think that's fascinating. So one of the things I would say into that is uh, Jamie and I are both passionate about language and how we speak and think and talk about that which is in our life and that matters to us, and also the impact and um, the language of others and how it shapes us. And so one of the things to be aware of is when uh, somebody comes forward with their language and how they're speaking about something, does it sound empowering, uplifting, engaging, inviting, or does it sound depleting, um, uh, more uh, negative, uh, maybe uh, something that would invite feeling more stuck and entrenched? And one of the things that I really value about Renedra's approach to life is as a poet, as a writer, as a um, musician and songwriter, she has an, a, a way of using language to uh, really transform the world and transform really challenging circumstances. And there's so much we can learn from that and from her around that because Life happens to us in many different ways, and we can choose how we respond to it. It's the only way we can really have any control. When Lenezra was speaking about letting go of this need to know, that is a fear-based need that comes from a need to control life. And what is much more effective is to uh, rest in the knowing that uh, you have a strong and robust capacity to meet and move with whatever life brings you. Lenetra, are you Emily, back? I'm back. I am. I got bumped off. I think it's something uh, I don't know about my Skype, um, and I'm calling in perhaps on a, a little less good line. We'll see. But here I am. Well, you, Sorry. you sound great. And um, I, I don't know if you're able to hear my intro during this time when we lost you, but I was speaking about uh, the use of language and how it shapes our reality. And one of the reasons that I respect you and why we've asked you to be a part of this show is because of your use of language to really craft life the way that um, you want it to look and how it can look, not just how it's always been. And uh, your poetic use of language, your uh, empowering use of language, and that really the only say and control we have in the world, it's not about knowing, it's not about thinking and fretting and moving and shaking, it's about resting and uh, receiving and listening and um, getting to the core of what's right and true for you in that moment, and then moving from that place. That's what I'm hearing. And so mm. um, this this question, it actually, it's really interesting because I bet during your walkabout, you encountered quite a bit of judgment um, from people that were um, maybe even threatened by the choices that you've made. And I think what happens in our, in our world and, you know, what I've come to in my studies call, you know, just to help me understand it more like this, 
kind of matrix way of living and thinking in terms of how it should should be and how it's always been and what we get stuck in. Um, you've made a deliberate choice within that framework to say, no, I'm going to try it differently and see what this is like. And people react to that, and they want to put it in a box, and they want to decide what it is that drove you. So could you speak into that a little bit in terms of um, how you encounter the judgments of others? And if you want to say more about um, the circumstances that led to you doing this, that would be wonderful too. Well, I did see the re, uh, some reactions that were common to people. People, in the first place, wanted to know where I was as a way of relating. You know, where are you from is one of our first questions. And not having a good answer to that did make it difficult some, sometimes. If I would say I'm at large in the world, um, yes, people would sometimes uh, judge that that would feel flaky, and often it made people feel uncomfortable. People felt also concerned as they would hear more about what I was doing that I might want to live off of them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so that brought up many questions. Oh, no, is she going to ask me for money? Oh, dear, am I going to have to feel responsible for her? Even if we were just talking on the airplane, you know, so it was obvious uh, this was not... <laughs> could never lead to those kinds of things, people would often feel those things. And then, as well, uh, people were intrigued. And it was a little inconceivable for people to see what I was doing or to think Mm -hmm. about living that way, Uh, but it would lead to interesting conversations. So sometimes there was judgment, uh, sometimes there was fear. Um, Sometimes people just thought I was flaky. (laughs) And one always has to decide how much they're going to care about what other people think, um, which the answer to that varies, doesn't it, from time to time. Yeah. And and so I I had to go ahead in that. And it gave me the chance to try many different answers, which clarified also what I was doing. So to, to just to say again, I don't, it's not necessary to be that extreme. It just was, I was able to in my life. Most people are not able to do that. I was in a moment where I could really make an extreme step. But we we don't have to make something that extreme to reach this place. But since I did, and since I had that opportunity, I really took it so that I could see, is this possible? How is it possible? And I could share that. So the first thing oh, is to realize okay. that, that the opportunity is is to begin to shift, you know, the opportunity is not to, like, forsake everything and go out. That's part of an old spiritual belief where we get into, well, then you can't have things and be on a spiritual, no, that's just a, you know, chase the dog chasing its tail. That mm-hmm. can't be how things really are. So the first thing is to realize that, that the opportunity is to begin to shift from our, our detail-oriented and highly segmented, segmented and very separated perspective to an entirely different place. And we've all glimpsed that place. We all know that place. We've been there in moments, in moments of great joy, uh, even in moments of great grief, or in, in brief moments of bliss or deep peace. We know that place. And it's yeah, and it's, so, it's so interesting because the, the chill factor and that place is truly about connection. So when you talked about this... Um, segmented way we live, it's that disconnection that uh, can often drive us in the wrong direction 
And these moments that we allow ourselves to be connected and when we feel and, and acknowledge those moments of connection is when, you know, that's the, the mystery. And that's, that's really so much about what we're here to experience. And we think, you know, we enjoy, we long for, we search for, we try to, you know, sometimes have that experience of bliss or great joy or deep peace. Um, but we tend to think that it's, you know, something momentary, uh, mysterious. And instead, really, it's actually our core perspective. Mm-hmm. It's really our center. It really is home. We just yep. don't fully realize that. So one of the the things to do is begin to shift perspective so that we operate in our lives from that place instead of this fractured uh, and highly segmented perspective. One of the ways to begin moving to taking your perspective from that, that other place is simply to realize those times are very possible and we just keep doing a few simple things that allow us to experience them a little more and we string another pearl on our necklace and another pearl on mm. our necklace until we have them, a whole string of them together. And yeah, there are so if, many things people already know to take to bring a pause in. Do you find that... Uh, not acknowledging those pearls really makes a difference because one of the practices that Jamie and I do and we encourage our clients to do as well is to keep a little uh, journal. Some people call it a gratitude journal um, where you actually capture each day the pearls that you um, allow, that you acknowledge, that you see, those moments. And sometimes there may be a day when you don't have one, but just by honoring the fact that I'm going to write down each day something that I see where that uh, that engagement in life happens, it tends to invite it to happen even more. Did you yeah. did you do that at all? Did you did you capture them in a journal or you know how did, how did you did this become so much your life that there was like no can't I, I don't have time for this because there's so many. Well, once we notice how much we hunger for this. And, and how much it's needed, then um, we can really allow ourselves to develop a taste for the real hunger of it. And we can let that hunger become a passion for it. And once it's a passion, then we can really get into the fun of letting every harried moment become a fun opportunity for your new passion, you know, your new, the new passion for personal pause. And so we can become excited then about writing in the journal a moment where we we put that in and how it went. So yes, that would be a great thing. We can become excited about, you know, when we notice, whoo, my blood pressure is really rising. I've just been on the phone without stopping for hours. Um, then maybe there's a song that always brings us back. So we'll put it on. And we just take three minutes and listen to that song and feed that longing. And we have another moment. We just give a little breath. Once it's a passion, instead of, oh, gosh, I should do that more. Oh, I'm not remembering to. Oh, gee, I really wanted. And, oh, I didn't. And I never. And I've been on the phone, you know. So mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't talk about our passion like that. So letting, noticing our hunger and then letting 
really develop a taste for what we're hungry for. And let that hunger be our hobby, be our passion. So that every every moment we notice we're, you know, we're in the ringer again, <laughs> we can go, oh, let's see, this is a moment when I could do some little thing. Before I make that next call, I'm just going to take 10 breaths. You know, that's yeah, huge. Yeah, for, for that's one so session. huge, especially the, the breathing in and out. So often we go through our day holding our breath without even realizing it, which tends to exacerbate the experience of stress and um, anxiety that can often um, flow throughout our days. And just breathing out and making sure we exhale fully can make such a huge difference. And, you know, I want to add another point to this in terms of connection and uh really developing that hunger and that taste. I am doing a presentation tomorrow on um, at the Day of Philanthropy at the Jewish Federation's uh, event in San Francisco on raising resilient children and how to empower them versus entitle them. And in my research for that and getting ready for the presentation, again, it came forward so strongly that the number one indicator for children having uh, a resilient way of moving in life and being successful and tapping into their innate gifts in each moment stems from having dinner more nights than not with at least one of their parents. Hmm. And it's that pause. It's that time of pause where electronics are off, where people are present with each other, eye contact is made, Laughter happens. Connection happens. And one of the things that we encourage people to do is some sort of a simple practice where everybody comes to dinner knowing that maybe they're going to share a high and a low. What's a high point of the day and what was a low point of the day? Or maybe uh, it's a, it, there's a, a game that's involved in it where um, it's not just a, a one-word answer and where people are more disconnected and uh, fractured, but where there is uh, an opportunity for being together. And just taking that time every day works wonders in terms of how you shape each other's lives. So, um, I get the sense that your walkabout included a lot of connecting with people um, in all kinds of ways, um, surprising ways and wonderful ways, but where there was um, that heart-to-heart connection, where there was that dropping in and that time just being together. Yes, when we start to shift our perspective more into that core place that's really home for us, you know, being present and having presence begins to be one's expression. And that really changes interactions in a beautiful way so that one can really connect through one's own core humanity in just a moment, I remember a, a moment in New York, waiting for the light, late for the theater, um, and the the fellow standing at the corner there decided to. The, I had missed the light, and this guy decided he was going to go for it in that wonderful guy way, um, and he stepped off and just, I, I without thinking, I grabbed his arm and headed off with him, um, nearly into the traffic. But I just had this sense without thinking that he was really going to navigate that and I wanted to get across. And he was quite surprised but didn't break his stride and we got right across there 
um, as, you know, taxis were zinging. And then we stepped up on the curb and we looked at each other and I laughed and we really saw each other for a moment and then I went on to the theater. But there was this, you know, we really experienced each other. Yeah. And that's what begins to happen more even at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. So at the at the dinner table, which is such a great example because it's so simple, we know how to do these things. If we can perceive them instead of oh dear, I've got to work that in, I have to find time, my children are needing, you know, instead of we think oh I'm going to string a pearl on my necklace. Yes. You know, yes, and I, we I love that. Thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I love that image of experiencing each other and. One of the things that I have seen over and over again is that when a child, no matter what age, has the experience of quality relating, it's not about the quantity. So, like, one example is when a parent comes in from a very hairy, busy day and they come home, that is a moment of of transition and interacting with the children. And if all you do is take five minutes and be with your children, like really be with them, totally present, completely engaged, interested, and wanting to know, and being present with them, then, you know, five, ten minutes, then they are totally saturated. Like the, that hunger and that taste, like you fed their hunger, and then they are full and they are delighted, and then they'll go off and do their own thing. If you don't, if you come in and you're, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to... They will chase you around the house. They will demand your attention. They will act out to get even negative attention to make sure that they get something, some sort of engagement. So you know something powerful to add to. Sorry. No, no. Um, Something something powerful to add to that moment that you're talking about. Um, You know, as soon as we start pulling away from, you know, the mommy, mommy. As soon as we pull away from, it does create pursuit. One of the things to add into that um, is simply the voice. And when I came back on, I heard you mentioning my my passion for the voice. Because one of my my blessings is assisting others to gain a really powerful and authentic voice that, and then to be able to offer that voice as their gift of peace and joy and and healing in their own lives and, and to their world. And I think if people can imagine how their life would change if their voice, their speaking voice, was a powerful and authentic expression of all that they are, then you can bring that into how you speak, how you use your voice with your children. That's one of my passions. (laughs) Oh, I am so thrilled you brought that up as we're getting to wrap up. This is fantastic. What a show. Gosh, I have so many more questions for you, and I'm delighted I get to continue having conversations with you. And I want our listeners to know that on November 27th, uh, so it's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, Lenedra is going to be hosting a show um, on the Wealth Psychology Program and really focusing on this, uh, this amazing work you do in terms of the voice, in terms of sound, uh, your passion for it. We haven't even had a chance to dive into that. And I know our listeners are going to so benefit from what you bring to that in their lives and in the lives of their families. So very grateful for your presence on the show. And we're definitely going to have you back for more conversations and questions about your walkabout and what you learned. 
and how we can incorporate that in our lives. So thank you That'll so be, much for being here. Right. Thank you. I'm just so I'm just so appreciative of what you and Jamie have created and this uh opportunity for all of us to be in conversation, not just with me, but in the way that you have on all of your other shows, really opening to what's real, to what we care about the most, um, and how to bring that into our lives. You do that so beautifully. Oh, thank you. Well, it's absolutely a delight. And I want to just recap, because we tend to be, uh, as coaches, we want to make sure we leave each conversation with an evocative question, an inspiring invitation, and some useful tools. And, you know, so many have been generated from this conversation um, I definitely I, I have a list here of useful tools that we've talked about, and while I go over those, maybe you could think of um, your evocative question and inspiring invitation to offer our listeners. So some of the useful tools that we've talked about that can support you in your journey is um, having some sort of gratitude or passion or maybe your pearls with a wisdom journal where each day you capture those moments, you you keep forward this intention to create more moments in your life that are uh, where you get to tap into what it means to live from that core and that inner place of peace and knowing and where real resilience comes from. And then uh, some other practical things you can do in your life with your uh, family, with your spouse, your partner, with your friends, is to have regular dinners together, to be present, and to uh, uh, take some time to bring your presence to your interactions and um, just make a decision. Maybe this week we're going to do a high-low game at dinner one night this week and see what it's like. We invite you to do that. And then um, the resource we want to offer you all to consider is uh, Lynette's book, The Architecture of All Abundance which really supports uh, really understanding how to bring spiritual uh, values into your daily life. And uh, do you have an evocative question for our listeners? Yes, I, I do. I would say that it would, for this program, it would be how much do you long for that peace and for the spiritual expression to really be the core and integrated piece of your life. That would be the question. Begin to realize. And I would say, write that down. Begin to grow intimate with that longing. Now, that would be the invitation. To whatever degree you have it. And one thing I want to How make much clear long for it. is if you don't long for it, if you don't even know what measure means by longing for it. Know that that is exactly right where you are and there is nothing wrong with that. There's no agenda here on whether you should long for it or not. There's no agenda here in terms of what it's supposed to look like. This is about an exploration for yourself. If things and kernels of this conversation have stirred something for you, this evocative question and invitation is about allowing yourself to keep stirring that and seeing what bubbles up. And a person may not long for spirituality, but they may long for more space. They may long for more um, peacefulness and less roar. These are other things that we long for. Mm -hmm. 
Wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much again for being a part of the show and uh, for bringing your wisdom to our listeners. You're very grateful. Welcome. Uh, I'll see you next week. Great. Right?